Oh, man. This feels so good. All this space, I ain't got to have two different music stands to hold my stuff. If I get the pounding on it, y'all can hear it. My lands. Whew, it feels good. <clears throat> oh, where to start? Uh, first, you'll notice a lot of gaps sitting around. There's um, plenty of folks out this morning. Uh, we sent about 30, including uh, youth and leaders all combined, about 30 folks to Gatlinburg for a, a youth conference that that our youth group puts on. They our youth leaders do it. Um, they'll be there till Wednesday. They'll return Wednesday. Um, so you got about thirty out there, and then other people are traveling. Some people, when their kids leave, they go wow, and they take off and do their own little thing and travel and do things and that kind of stuff. So we got people out all over the place. People traveling um, in all kinds of different sort of directions. I'll be uh, much in prayer for them. Um, again, next week is Easter. Uh, that means this week is Holy Week, and the first day of Holy Week is referred to as Palm Sunday. Um, and we're going to talk about Palm Sunday uh, just a little bit this morning and try to look at the events of that day um, and, and some of the things that took place. And we're going to be reading the account of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 21 and we'll start reading in verse 1. Matthew chapter 21, we'll start reading in verse 1. Um, as, you're, as you're flipping there, just you know, kind of getting our mindset around and kind of thinking about you know, this whole week, these, all of the events of this week from Scripture were all directly pointing to the cross and, and Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and, and to take your Bible and start about right here or any of the Gospels where they start talking about the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem and, and just spend this week digging through these Scriptures and reading this stuff and, and kind of uh, getting your mind focused on and set on the events that led up to Easter. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. The single most important event in the history of the world. The resurrection. Without it, we don't have a chance. Without it, Christ is no different from any of the rest of them. All of them died, right? All the other gods died. What separates Christianity from everybody else is we serve a risen Savior. He's, he's alive. And all of this week is, is intended for you and I to get our focus and get our minds set on the single most important event in the history of the world, Easter. It's not about bunnies and hiding eggs and all that stuff. It really is about a risen Savior. And it's hard. It's hard in a, in a society that we live in because everything points to the money grab. Right? East, I mean, Christmas is all about the gifts, the money grab, the big box stores and how much money they can make off of it. Easter is all about how much money they can gather from it. It's all about trying to get your next stimulus check in their cash register. And if it takes taking away something like Easter to do that, that's where it's at. So it's hard. It's hard in the society because the focus in the overall society that we live in is not the true meaning of Easter. Because that don't sell much. So it's hard 
But you've got to keep your mind focused and you've got to make sure that we're teaching the right things to our children and that we're putting the focus in the right area. I'm not anti-Easter Bunny. I'm not anti-Easter Bunny. I'm not anti. But I'm telling you, it can't be the focus and it can't be the most important thing. You have to steer their mindset to the right thing. And that is a risen Savior. If you don't tell them, nobody else will. So don't get caught up in all that other stuff. Take this week, Holy Week, and use the time to focus your mind and get prepared to celebrate the single most important event in the history of the world. Let's look at Jesus arriving. His triumphal entry in Matthew chapter 21. We'll read verses 1 through 11 and see how far we get. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and He will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning to ask you first and foremost to open our hearts and minds to your word. Father, that you, would, that you would help us to see and understand what's before us this morning. That you would help us to see and understand the events that led up to the single most important event in the history of the world. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus and what he did on that cross. I thank you for the opportunity to serve a risen Savior. Father, I pray that you would not only open our eyes to your word this morning, that Father, you would also allow us opportunity to help some other people's eyes be opened so that they can have the understanding there's only one true gospel, there's only one true Christ, and anything short of that is false. Father, I pray for your guidance, your direction. I pray, Father, for your words to, to, to fill my mouth this morning. Father, I pray that everything that's said and done is glorifying to your name and your kingdom. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. There's a few disciples, I mean, a few characters, I guess you would say, to look at in, in this event. There's a lot going on right here, and there's a lot of symbolism, and there's a lot taking place, and there's a lot to take in. But I want you to bear with me this morning. It's going to appear that I'm, I'm skipping around and, and going to subject to subject. I'm not going to 
go through many scriptures. We're going to stay right here and focus on this right here and just kind of expound on what we've already read this morning. But it is it is a lot to take in. It's a lot going on and it's a lot to try to understand to get the full grasp of exactly what all this means, the significance of different things and the, the different characters in this in this event. And I hate to call it a story. I hate to ever refer to anything I read from Scripture as a story because in our minds a story starts with once upon a time or far, far away. This isn't that kind of story. This is a real event with real characters. It took place in a real time, in a real place. This is not Disney. This is real. We need to have that understanding. Last week I talked to you about the importance of you knowing and believing that Jesus is who He says He is. It's important that you believe it because there may come a day when it may cost you your life to admit it, that you believe it. And it's not worth dying for if it's based on my knowledge and my understanding. It's only worth dying for if it's based on your knowledge and your understanding. It's important that you know and you believe who Jesus is. And it's important that you know and you understand what He has done and what has taken place. It's important for you to know and understand that this is not a story, but an actual event from history. This took place. This was real. These places are real. Look at here. Jerusalem is mentioned in this, in this event. And Jerusalem is the center of Israel's religious life. Israel is a real, I mean, uh, Jerusalem is a real place. You can find it on a map. It still exists and it existed in this time. It's a real place. Another place that was mentioned is Beth Page. And Beth Page is approximately one mile east of Jerusalem. And it's actually a city that sets on the, the side of the Mount of Olives. It's a real place. You can go there. You can find it on a map. People, you can go and walk through that place. This is a real event. I need you to grasp this. I need you to understand that this, the, these things that we read, these events that we read from Scripture are real. You can go to a lot of these places. They really did exist. This isn't storybook stuff. This has to be real to you. You have to understand that the people we're going to talk about this morning are real people from the history of this world. That the places that they're talking about are real. These places give you evidence so that you can convince your mind that this is a real event. This isn't a far, far away. Right? This isn't a once upon a time. This doesn't end with happily ever after. This is an event. This is real. This is life. These people really breathe the same air you and I are breathing today. Well, not the same air. <laughs> That'd be tough. You've got to know that this is real. I've got to help make sure that your mind is wrapped around the fact that this is real, real. And the evidence of that is throughout Scriptures. Every time you read and they're mentioning places and certain people, you can look up those places. You can find those. This stuff is real. i got to get the storybook mentality washed out. And I'm going to do that by flooding it with facts. And we're starting with the places. Jerusalem is a real place. It was the, the hub 
of religious life for these people in this time. This is where it all took place. When they had their feast, when they had their big events, this is where they all went to. Bethpage is a real place, and it's a city that kind of sits on a hill on the side of a mountain, if you can, about a mile east of Jerusalem. It's a real place. It's on the map. All right, so when they get to this place, we're gonna like I said, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people involved in this, a lot of different quote unquote characters involved in. And I want you to see the importance of each one of them. And I want to try for you and I to learn from this while we learn about this. Because there's application in here. Not, not just history notes. There's some application here. And we're going to look at that as we go. So again, it's going to seem like I'm trying to cover 14 different subjects, but I'm just trying to cover everything that's in this passage that we read so that you can have a better understanding of what's taking place. And hopefully, hopefully, it'll fire you up for a little bit of studying on your own time throughout the rest of the week so you can prepare to celebrate Easter the right way come next Sunday. And you'll have a better understanding of all that surrounds this. Hey, Jesus goes through some horrible things in this week. You realize that, right? Some things that He didn't have to endure. But He done it out of His love for you and I. You need to know that. You need to understand the seriousness of this. Again, things that you believe because I told you ain't worth dying for. You got to believe it because you believe it in your heart. You got to believe it because you know it's real. <clears throat> now, on their way, Jesus, uh, verse 1, he says, Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey, a colt, a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Jesus gives these guys a direct command, right? A very specific command with great detail in it. Go into the next city. When you get there, you're going to see a donkey and her colt. You untie them and you bring them back to me. Now, I got if I get this if I get this command from anybody, I've got some questions. Whose colt and donkey am I stealing? Is the first question. Right? Who said you could have them? I mean, I mean, just out of the blue, we're going along. Remember, Jesus knows what's happening. Jesus knows what's coming. And He's tried to tell His disciples along the way, but they don't know the details of everything. So they're just going along this road, and all of a sudden Jesus stops and goes, hey, go to the next city, get the first colt. There's go you're going to get there, you're going to see a colt, I mean a, a, a donkey and her colt, and they're going to be tied. Bring them to me. Because, ain't that theft? Right? But they didn't. They, they trusted Him. See, at this point, they'd been with Him long enough that they trusted Him. They knew that if Christ told them to do something, He had a reason behind it. Even though it may not make sense to them, they knew it meant something. They knew there was significance to it. And they knew that every step of it was important. So what does it say they did? 
They went. You know, you and I could learn a lot from these two disciples. Because a lot of times when Christ asks us to do something, when He commands us to do something, whether it's something we've read in His Word or it's something we, we've, we've felt Him speak to us and confirmed in His Word, whatever it is, sometimes it really don't make sense to us to go about it that way. Right? But what you've got to remember is the more you're with Him, the more you're around Him, the more you understand His teachings, the more readily obedient you can be. Because you trust Him. You trust Him. And you trust Him because to this point He hasn't failed you. To this point He hasn't left you. Same reason these guys trusted Him to the point that they just went. We're going to the next city. We're going to find that. I mean, they don't, I mean, they're just going to walk into the city blindly looking for a donkey and a colt. And it's going to be tied up. He gave them some great detail. They know what they're looking for. And they're going to do it. They're going to go in. They're going to find it. And he goes on with his instruction and says, if anybody says anything to you, if anybody questions what you're doing, if anybody accuses you of theft, remember, these are his disciples. They're kind of known in the area too, right? Now, don't ever forget that the whole time he's here, somebody's trying to kill him. Somebody's after him. There's a group of people that don't like him, don't want him. They're out to get him. So anybody associated with him is also under that same scrutiny, right? Now, these two disciples have just been given a command that appears to tell them to go steal something. There's people looking for these guys to mess up. They never question it. They just go. And he says, when you get there, if anybody questions you, if anybody says anything, you tell them the Lord is in need. We're fixing to see Jesus' whole persona change. The whole thing's fixing to flip a little. Up until this point, Jesus would heal people, and when He would get up, what would He tell them? Don't tell anybody. Right? Go, go your way and don't tell anybody. You're healed, but don't tell anybody what I've done. Now the reason he would do that is because he knew that that, would, that, would, that was going to do two things. It was going to draw a bigger crowd, which would possibly hinder his ministry. That, not that he couldn't overcome it, not that he couldn't do it, but it would also stir up these folks. Since he's been here, somebody's been after him. Remember, his, his teaching isn't the most popular in the world. He's, he's kind of going against some things. He's trying to kind of breaking some traditions. They've always been taught, follow that law, follow that law, follow that law. And he's going, forget the law, follow me. Forget the law, trust me. And they're going, there's no way. So they don't like this guy. He's not, he's not as popular everywhere as he is in some places. So now he's sent his disciples in. <clears throat> And he tells them, if anybody says anything to you, you tell them, so it's fixing to flip. Look at here, he's fixing to set up a parade. He's fixing to come in. The whole time he's been saying, don't tell anybody. He's fixing to turn a little. Well, see, he knows that, that, that that's not going to be a problem anymore because this phase of his ministry is fixing to come to an end in a week. So it doesn't matter how many people know. It's time for Him to reveal who He really is. 
It's time for people to understand who He really is. Not that He's tried to keep it a secret, but remember what town we're coming into. It's where all the religious life happens. And He's fixing to make a grand entry. And He knows what's coming. But He knows it has to be done. Keep going. Let's keep going. Alright, so in verse 2, saying to them, go into a village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and He will send them at once. Now I kind of dug into that statement a little bit in verse 3 that He told them that if you'll tell them that, then He's going to turn them loose. And nobody's sure. Some people claim, think that maybe... Um, this was something that Christ had set up with somebody beforehand. Some people think it's just His divinity at play. So I mean, it's just a lot of different things going on here. Some people think that the person that had the donkey was a follower of Christ and understood the prophecies of Old Testament and understood that this was going to be a need so they would willingly turn loose when they heard that the Lord needed it, it would ring a bell. Whatever, however it was done, none of that matters. What matters is, is what he says next. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. The reason it had to be a cult. The reason it had to go this way is to fulfill prophecy. You realize that everything in the Old Testament is actually pointing to Christ as the only way. We like to read them Old Testament Scriptures, and I'm not saying it's not possible from time to time and it's not applicable from time to time. We like to read David and Goliath and think that we're David. Right? We like to put ourselves in David's shoes and we're going to take on this giant. Right? That's That's the way we look at it. The reality is... You're not David. I'm not David. We're the Israelites standing over on the hill shaking in our boots, scared to death of a giant. Jesus is David. Jesus is David. He's the one that's going to face that giant on our behalf. All the Old Testament points to Christ as Savior to this world. The, 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 the prophecy had to be fulfilled. Because if it wasn't fulfilled, then it was missing the mark. It, it, it has to line up. But I want you to see something. What's so amazing to me about prophecy, let's read the quote and then we'll talk about it. Verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This scripture is quoted from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. As best I could decipher, and I'm, I'm just old, dumb, whatever. I ain't real intelligent when it comes to trying to find out this sidebar information stuff, but the best I could tell, that would have been written in about 520 B.C., So approximately 520 years before it takes place.
I tell you that to show you more evidence that this isn't a storybook. This is real. Every, every, how can you just happen to have quoted something 520 years ago and it just happened? It has to be God's divine nature being played out in front of us. It has to be. It's the only explanation. Christ was here to fulfill these Scriptures. Nobody around Him knew for sure that He was who He said He was. Not, not nobody. Very few around Him was sure that He was who He said He was. But He's fixing to reveal all of that. It's all fixing to come busting out. And it's going to start with Him on a donkey. Now the significance of the donkey... In the last part of that quote from Zechariah, he says, the foal of a beast of burden. Not a big stud horse, right? But on a donkey he comes in. Most people expect a king to show up and save them different than how Jesus came. The donkey was actually a symbol of peace and the horse was a symbol of war. Jesus wasn't here to start a war. Jesus was here to bring peace. Jesus came in in humility. He came in as His birth, right? It started at birth. He was born like no other king had ever been born. This, in my opinion, is what completely derails the idea that there could even possibly be an inkling of prosperity gospel. We're not serving a king like the world sees a king. We're not, we're not serving a savior that looks like a savior the rest of the world points at and says, there's my king, there's my savior. He's the opposite of exactly what everybody else expects out of a king. And he is the king of kings. He, he didn't come in with an iron fist and rule over and dominate and destroy, which is what some of them expected. They expected their king to come in and destroy everybody that didn't like them and free them from slavery and to fight, physically fight on their behalf. He came to be more than that. He came to be much, much more. He came in opposite of anything anybody could ever expect from a king. A king don't ride a donkey. They throwed their wore out, junky, nasty, stinking clothes on it. You ever seen a king sit on a pile of his servant's clothes? Old, dirty, filthy rags? No. No way. You've got to understand this symbolism. You've got to understand what's being put on display here. You've got to grasp that Jesus is the King of all kings. That Jesus is the Son of God. But He is as humble and He expects you and I to display that same humility in our lives. Hey, it's okay to call wrong wrong. It's expected of us. It's expected of us to... Jesus did. He called sin, sin. But at the same time, He was humble about it. He was peaceful as He could possibly be about it. His, his procession, you know, nowadays it's the red carpet, right? Every, you, you get the red carpet gets rolled out, that means you somebody. 
Jesus' red carpet was made up of more dirty, old, stanky, wore-out coats and some palm leaves. Why? Humility. Peace. He was riding on a beast of burden. Man, all of this is its so important that you let this sink in. It's so important that you're able to visually see in your mind this parade and Him coming into this place, Jerusalem, the center of all of religious life for this people. And He's riding on a donkey. <laughs> that don't belong to Him. On coats that are ragged and wore out, that His disciples have thrown, they stink, they ain't been washed. And they've laid out in front of Him more old, nasty, ragged coats. And Normally when a king would come in, they would stand and wave what? Their swords, their weapons. Right? That was the sign of royalty. That's what it was. That, that he was the he was the king, he was the leader at war. But instead, Jesus comes into palm leaves. It's a pretty big contrast. There's significance in that that you can't miss. You you can't. You've got to understand these things. You've got to get your mind wrapped around what this looks like. Now the crowd is another... We, we've talked about the importance... We, we talked about the disciples. We've talked about the importance of the donkey and what all that represented. We've talked about the, the nasty coats and the, and the cloaks and the, what that stood for and represents. We've talked about the palm leaves and the contrast between that and the swords that a normal king would be saluted with. Then there's the crowd. A fickle, misled crowd with just enough understanding to make them open their mouth. When Jesus comes in on this donkey, keep reading, I'm getting ahead of myself. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on and He sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before Him and that followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. You see that? Blessed is He who comes... In, they still ain't calling Him Lord, are they? He comes in the name of the Lord. You see that? And they're shouting and they're praising, but they don't, they don't really understand. They know it's important. They know something's happening. They know things are, are, are taking place, but they still don't grasp it. And how do I know they don't grasp it? Do you realize these are the same people at the end of the week will be shouting something a little different? It won't, it won't be Hosanna. It won't be Son of David. It's going to be crucify Him. Trade up. Give us the criminal. You take Christ. The same group, the same people that cry out Hosanna, the same ones that worship Him next the, at the end of the week are going to be crucify Him. 
Crucify him. I hate to say this, but the church probably fits better to that character than any in the story. So on Sundays, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And the rest of the week, we live to satisfy self, which is sin, which is the reason He was crucified, which is the same as crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. For the most part, that statement is due to that little bit of unbelief that lives in every single one of us. That, that, that little bit of, God, I know you are who you say you are. Please help my unbelief. Because as hard as we try to grasp and understand exactly who Christ is, I sincerely believe we would everyone act different if we really believed it. We would handle people differently. We would handle life differently. We would pursue different things than we pursue now if we really believed it. We would. The things of this world wouldn't have near the amount of importance to them that they do to us today. So there must be some kind of disconnect. There must be something there that's blocking us from seeing and understanding. And whatever that is, we need to root that out. And we, and we need to get to a point where we genuinely believe that Christ is exactly who He says He is and He can do anything He says He can do and He will do it. And we got to be able to believe that to the point that we're willing to die for it. That we're willing to stick by that belief even if it means it costs us our life. Now I know this is a much different gospel than gets preached on the TV a lot of times. Because this don't sound nothing like prosperity promise to me. Sounds like this gospel may cost me something instead of give me something. And it does. If it cost him his life, what do you think it should cost you? If he suffered, listen, this next week, he's fixing, it's fixing to be on. He's fixing to be sold out and traded and beat and spit on and ultimately crucified put on a cross with nails driven through His hands and His feet and left to die while they spit on Him and make fun of Him and offer Him things like vinegar to drink. So if they'll treat Him that way, what makes you think that means you're going to get treated any other way? So many times we, life gets hard, we look up at God and go, why God? Why does it have to be so hard? Why would we expect anything else? If it cost Him that, what is it going to cost us? If He's going to sacrifice the way He did, don't you think following Him would cause us to sacrifice something? Our time, our money, sometimes friends, sometimes family. This isn't a joy ride. 
This is real life. This is, this is real places. This, is, this isn't a place, Jerusalem. This is another place next door, Bethpage. This is a real place in history. This is a real time. These are real people. These are real events. It really took place. This isn't a storybook, and we don't just read it to make you feel better. We try to learn it and gain the knowledge from it so we can live our life as an example of it. But in order for it to be that real to you, you've got to have a better understanding. You've got to believe it because you understand it, not because I tell you you should. That's the tricky part. This whole week is fixing to get really, really tough, but I want to show you something before we go. I'm going to give you some good news before we go, so y'all stay with me. In verse 10, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? This this has become a big parade. This has become a big deal. There's a lot of folks there. And now the whole people in the city is going, Who are we celebrating? I mean, they're screaming and shouting and they're singing. And here comes Jesus riding in on a donkey with these coats on its back and Him sitting on top of them. I mean, here He comes. I mean, it's and, and they go, Who is this? And look at the answer. And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Shouldn't the answer have been if they, the reason they're able to shout Hosanna today and crucify him at the end of the week is because they don't understand who he is. Because their answer wasn't, this is Jesus. King of kings. This is Jesus, Lord of the world. This is Jesus, Savior of the world. They said, this is Jesus, prophet. They don't understand who He is. That's why they can be misled to the end of the week to take their hosannas to crucify Him. The way I'm going to prevent that from happening to you is to convince you that Jesus is not just prophet Jesus. He's King Jesus. He's Christ. He's Lord. He's King of Kings. He's not just prophet. We can't be that fickle. We can't be that easily distracted and misled that our hosannas go from hosannas to crucify Him. But the reason it was so easy for them is because they didn't understand who He was. They didn't believe it. They didn't know it. Whatever. It wasn't real. It has to be real to you. You have to understand who Jesus really is. Jesus can't just be Savior. He's got to be Lord. He's got to be King. He's got to be exactly who He says He is. And you've got to believe every breath of it because of your convictions and because you believe it. Not because I told you to. Because if not, you're so easily misled. And if you ain't careful, your hosannas on Sunday become crucify Him by Friday. And here's the thing. We get in that cycle and it happens week after week after week after week. And we live there. And we stay there. And we get comfortable there. And we go... Oh, Satan ain't messing with me. That's because you're exactly where he wants you to be. Why would he mess with you? You're, you're in a perfect spot for him. 
He's not going to mess with you. I want you to notice one more thing before we leave. If you continue reading from here, and I hope you will, I hope you'll take, and, and you can find this in other uh, Gospels and different accounts, and, and the, the events will be the same. Some of the details are different, or some of the events are swapped around in order or something like that, but I promise you it's the same event. When when multiple people write about a the same event, they have their own perspective. They have their audience in mind, and they, they take different details into account. So don't let that be, be a distraction to you if you read it from multiple places that things are, some details are different and some events are in a little bit different order. It, it's, it's still there. It's all still there. I promise you it is. But if you read on from this one, the next thing you see in verse 12, Jesus has come into Jerusalem, man. He's, he's had his parade. The hosannas have been shouted. He's coming in on the donkey. The scripture has been fulfilled. And here's where, here's where we see the flip. Here's where we see it go from don't tell anybody to he just came in in a parade and let that be and let that happen. But I'll show you something else that's pretty cool that really stood out to me. In verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sowed and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, listen to this, it is written, My house. He didn't call it the Father's house. Huh? Every other time he's referred to it as my Father's house or the Father's house. Now he's took in and he's put his foot down and he's stabbed a flag in the ground and he goes, it's my house. See, now he's announcing who he really is. Now he's letting them all know that it's all. it don't matter what you think. It don't matter how hard you come after me. It don't matter from this day, that part of my ministry is over with. Now you're fixing to see who I really am. And again, he don't do it with an iron fist and destroy all his haters. No, they, they crucify him. He dies at their hands. But he still wins. <laughs> And because of that third day resurrection, I win. I win. He comes into the temple, he turns over the tables, and we've heard this story a thousand times. And he and he, he runs people out and he and he tells them, Y'all, y'all. But look at this. My lands. He says, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. My house. Not it is written my father's house. Not it is written somebody else's house. My house. The Lord's house. My house. I am the Lord of lords. I am the King of kings. And I stake my claim on this temple. It's mine. And it'll be treated the way it's supposed to be treated. Because it's mine. Now the rest of the week is fitting to get rough. He's going to be betrayed. But now there's some good things happening too, remember? The Last Supper and the gatherings. But if you could start reading right here, and, and if you just stick with Matthew and you read through, oh, I don't know. Uh, if you go all the way to the end of 22, you get to see the the 
the great commandment. I would say finish it out. I would say finish it out. I would say go plumb through verse twenty-five, uh, chapter twenty-five, through the end of Matthew. Um, unless you wanted to bounce back and forth between the Gospels and check your references and and look at it from different accounts, this this week leading up to the resurrection of Christ, man, it's so important for us to understand. It's so important for us to know that it's real. It's a real event. That it's real places, a real time in history. These are really, really people. So important for us to understand this so that we can come in here next Sunday and have a under, better understanding of what we're celebrating. It'll really change the way you celebrate. It'll really change the way you worship when you understand what you're celebrating. The single most important event in the history of the world. Now we're going to start celebrating at about 7 o'clock Sunday morning with a little food and then we're going to have a, just a short devotion with that. 8.30 we'll have Sunday school. 9.30 we'll have worship. And we're going to celebrate. This, this is an event that has to be celebrated. And I hope you'll spend a week preparing for that celebration.